Hey, everybody, before we start the show, I just want to thank you all for downloading and listening. And I do want to tell you that you can help support us by going to patreon.com slash DVR. If you're a fan of our podcast, you can get everything we do on your own RSS feed. You put it right into your app and you get it. All the podcasts ad-free, you get Old Lost Mythos Theorycast episode, the film list. Man, we got tons of special episodes that we're always doing and throwing on the uh, Patreon. I am a stay-at-home dad. I uh, take care of my son, but I do this podcasting, and it's providing me an opportunity to live a kind of life that is of quality that I always wanted, which is to be with my son and my family, but to also talk about and share geeky, cool stuff and ideas with people. So help support us. Go to patreon.com slash DVR today and become a patron for as little as like, what, three bucks a month, and you'll get like seven podcasts a week. That's a pretty good deal. Go to patreon.com slash DVR today. You know what comes out this month? Disney Plus. Disney Plus launches November 12th, but cufflinks.com all month long, 20% off, Disney, Marvel, and Star Wars. That's right. You got it. Disney, Marvel, and Star Wars. Man, they got ties, cufflinks, pocket squares, socks, so much great stuff. You've got to go over to cufflinks.com slash DVR. Check it out. Use code Disney Plus and get 20% off your order on Disney, Marvel, and Star Wars. That's right. Use code Disney Plus at cufflinks.com slash DVR today. Welcome back to Podcast Winterfell. It's been a while. You can find out more about us at DVR. It's been so long, I can't do the intro. You can find out more about us at DVRpodcast.com, and you can also email us at DVRpodcast at gmail.com. Also, go to Patreon.com slash DVR. You'll get tons of past episodes of Lost Mythos, The Film List, ad-free versions of all our pods like Mindhunter, Watchmen, which, by the way, I'm covering with Roberto Suarez from A Pot of Casts, you Game of Thrones freaks. So go become a patron, patreon.com slash DVR, three bucks a month, get you like seven podcasts a week. Today, we have a super special guest. I'm very excited to have on Kim Renfro of Insider.com. She's the author of a fantastic new book called The Unofficial Guide to Game of Thrones that dives deep into all the inside workings of GOT. I know that our listeners are familiar with Kim's great writing, and I know some of our Westworld Theorycast listeners are also familiar with her great writing about Westworld. Today, we're going to talk all about Kim's book. We're also going to chat a little bit about the news that came out last week about Dan and Dave, the prequels and all that. But let's say hello to Kim. Kim, how are you doing? Hi, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Oh, no problem. I've been bugging you, sliding into your DMs <laughs> for like a couple years. <laughs> Finally, I got you. I do appreciate yeah. it. And uh, man, this book is awesome. I know everybody's reading it. I, I want to find out all about it. Let's first off, if you can tell us a little bit about yourself, where we can find you, and maybe also a little bit of your history with Game of Thrones. Yeah, of course. So like you mentioned, I work for Insider, which is a digital media publication. Um, I cover, I'm like a sort of entertainment culture generalist, but TV and movies have always been a little bit more of my focus. And that is entirely thanks to Game of Thrones. Um, I did not grow up intending to be a 
entertainment reporter or, or anything of the sort, I, I sort of fell into this job by, um, I actually had just graduated college in 2014 and I went to a temp agency cause I just needed a new job and thought that that was a pretty decent way to get one. Uh, and it worked. They, they placed me at a company called business insider, which is a digital media company. That's the same company I still work for, but back then it was just one website instead of two. Um, and I actually started out there as an office assistant of all things, uh, like stocking the fridge and setting up computers and menial little tasks. And at the time that I had that job, I was just in my personal life. I had become a huge fan of George R. R. Martin's writings and a song of ice and fire. And I was watching game of Thrones just honestly to pass the time while I waited for the next book. I was like, (laughs) well, you know, I'm waiting for this other book. Might as well see this like version of the story. Uh, and so, yeah, I had a ton of my own personal feelings about it and was a huge fan. I was spending a, way too much time on Reddit, like reading every single A Song of Ice and Fire post and all the Game of Thrones theories. And yeah, I started talking to to one of the editors at the website one day about the latest episode of Game of Thrones. I think it was sometime around season four was airing. And I think I was like griping about a change that they had made or telling him about some theory that was definitely going to happen. And he was like, do you want to write for our website about this show? And I was like, what? (laughs) Like, I'm not, (laughs) I didn't fancy myself uh, a professional writer by any stretch of the imagination, but I did. I went home and I put together an article about uh, George R. R. Martin's books. And I think I think the very first article I wrote was why he was probably going to need an eighth book to finish the series, which is like extremely depressing to think about now. <laughs> um, but yeah, so everything kind of snowballed from there. I started writing more and more for the site, just kind of in my spare time. And I eventually asked them if it would be okay for me to apply to become a full-time reporter. And they said yes. And so now like Game of Thrones was what, got me into the job. Basically, it was kind of what proved proved to them that I could write things for the site that people would read. Um, But now I write about a ton of things. And yeah, like you mentioned, Westworld and all sorts of other TV shows. And yeah, so that's awesome. I love that story. I know that's part of your book as well. Yeah, I, I just I really that's similar to myself. I came out of college and I actually delayed my last year of college so I could work as an editorial assistant at the Star Ledger in Jersey. Um, I was lucky enough at that time to work with Matt Zoller Sites and oh, no uh, Alan Seppenwall was there at the same time. So it was they had a great crew and I learned a lot from everybody. I always loved the stories where people start doing something else or they start at the bottom and it's just through their talent and hard work. And really, I just have to take the time to tell you congratulations because I kind of watched you rise up and you're really popular in the fan communities and people read your stuff and your book's doing great. And it's just, it's wonderful to see that, you know, that's kind of like what this whole thing is about, right? Like, yeah, thank it, you. Well, you're well, I mean, it's, it's, it's really great. And, and, and uh, the fan community is really what gets me into this story, uh, into any story. It's really the fans that are attached to it, whether it's lost leftovers, Watchmen, game of Thrones, all these Westworld. And that's, I kind of wanted to start out 
How you feeling about Game of Thrones right now? <laughs> because this has been kind of a tough year, you know, and even the recently the news that came out with Dan and Dave, um, that Austin panel they did where they just didn't really come off very well. Um, how's your feelings on it? You've invested a lot of time into this world. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm I, like tired is the, <laughs> the first word that comes to mind. I, it, it's really hard. I think it was always going to be hard to sort of reckon with the sort the black hole that gets left behind when, when a show as big as Game of Thrones ends, and especially given how instrumental Game of Thrones has been to my career and my life in the last, especially five years, but also for the last, you know, 10 years, more generally speaking, that was always going to be hard. I think what I wasn't anticipating was the divisiveness of the final season. Like I, I went into the final season probably foolishly optimistic that they were going to fully stick the landing in a way that would overall please people. And that obviously didn't happen. Um, and I will like, it's been, it's been a lot of highs and lows. Like I, I felt really like the weeks, the couple of weeks right after the finale were extremely, extremely hard for me. Um, I had to finish my book in like 20 days Ooh. after the finale. Wow. I, I had written a lot of it, but yeah, I had to like wrap it up and uh and and like finish out all the chapters and make sure that I hadn't written something months earlier that was now no longer relevant and it was just it was a lot of pressure a lot of stress and anxiety um and easily the hardest thing I've ever put myself through um and then I went to Con of Thrones which was like this extreme uplift for me, like just being around all of the fans in the community. And like you said, like, that's, what's really special to me about game of Thrones. I have never been a part of a fandom like this before. I was always like a very private, like nerd about things. Like, <laughs> I read Harry Potter by myself and like, you know, took the scholastic wizard quiz alone. <laughs> like I wasn't, I wasn't really like participatory yeah. either for like shyness reasons or just because I didn't quite know how to get into that sort of thing. So game of Thrones has been my first experience of like really being embedded in a community. And it's just so awesome. I, I love getting to know all of these people and I've made so many amazing lifelong friends. And so con of Thrones was like, Oh yes. Like, this is why we love this show. It's okay. If we disagree or if maybe the season eight didn't end the way that we wanted to, it was, it felt very celebratory. And then, yeah, it's like, we went, I feel like I sank right back into a bit of like, a pit of despair when all of the discourse rose up again about Benioff and Weiss. And like you said, that panel they did really just kicked up all this dust that I felt, I felt so tired of like talking through all of these yeah. things that I felt like I had, I, I kept being like, read my book. <laughs> like I've said, I think I've, I put in permanent writing all the things that I really need to say in this book, but I obviously know that not every single person is going to read the book. So yeah, that was, that was weird. And I felt like I was just sitting there ignoring Twitter for like 24 hours slash reading it, but like not participating in what was going yeah, on. I know. And then we snowballed into like the news about the prequel. And I was just like, Oh my God, what is happening? 
it was like, and that was yeah. like a double hit because they cancel yeah. the one and they wait two or three hours. So everyone can write a quick article about how, because of season eight, now nobody wants game. Th- and then they're like, Oh, by the way, we greenlit 10 episodes without even a pilot of yeah. the fire and blood one. Um, yeah. which, what are they calling it again? The world of Dra- house of the dragon, house of the dragon. Hot um, D for yeah. short. <laughs> D. Okay. I like it already. <laughs> that is, uh, that's a good one. Um, people will love that. They'll attach themselves to it. Uh, but, um, yeah, it was a lot. And, you know, we, I enjoyed season eight and one of the reasons I enjoyed it was because I kind of, from what I had seen already, I had already kind of prepared myself for this to be really like six or seven, whatever, seven episodes or six episodes of spectacle and like more like movies. I wasn't, I didn't think that we were going to get all of a sudden they were going to scale that back and it was going to become like better call Saul or something like a real adult drama. I think they went towards that spec. So I, I enjoyed it, but throughout I understood people's reactions. And then when Dan and Dave did that panel, I kind of your ch- the chapter and, and there's a sample chapter available. I'll, I'll I'll put a link to it in the show notes, uh, which is great. Where I like the way you bring your personal stuff into it as we're doing now because it's always personal. But the way you describe um, even how it started off, and that was a lot about what that panel was about. Yeah. One, one of our most popular episodes we ever did is we did about two and a half hours on the failed first pilot and we watched the pilot and Mike, my friend and I, who we used to direct movies together, we kind of sat, okay, this part they took out, they changed this and we went through it. It was, I wish your book was available when we did that because <laughs> I would have had to do a lot less research, Yeah, um, but it's just- it doesn't the guy it doesn't matter what these guys say or do people were upset and the aspects of production that are always going to be a pro- there's so many failed pilots there's so many movies that were changed and people don't even realize it right um they're just under such a microscope and it but just the whole thing just felt icky to me you know just like you're describing I kind of just muted it. I just like looked on my other account on Twitter. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't need to deal with this because, and now they're off Star Wars too. So yeah. I feel like maybe they kind of, maybe Dan and Dave should go and like to write something themselves and direct a little movie that's not a huge thing. Right. You know? I, I, yeah. I think I understand. I definitely understand the stepping away from star Wars. Like it's it not that it surprised me when they got attached to that, to that next star Wars project. But I was also kind of like, man, they are really <laughs> stepping in. Like, it, right? <laughs> right. Well, like, yeah, they're just, they're going straight from, like you said, being under a really intense microscope with game of Thrones fans over to star Wars fans, which I would argue is like an even more, mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, that, that has decades on, of discourse on top of what game of Thrones had. And for me, yeah. Like watching that thread, just like the reporter in me was like my reporter instincts were kicking in. And I was like, look, you can't take, you can't take these quotes at face value until you listen to the audio 
because I've tried to live tweet a panel before and it's, it's impossible to accurately quote someone back to back to back like that. Um, and again, I was, I was seeing people, I was seeing people respond to things that I had known for a really long time about the way that Benioff and Weiss work and the way that they talk about their work. And so to me, it was like, it wasn't, it didn't feel quite like breaking news. Um, and it was, again, exactly. like you mentioned, it's something that I, I had addressed in my book. And so I was just kind of like, just, I don't know. Yeah. I just, I felt like I didn't have some sort of like spicy hot take on what was happening because it felt a little bit redundant to me of, of things that I already, I had already personally processed about how I feel about Benioff and Weiss and their approach to adapting this TV show, which I think was very successful in a lot of ways and very unsuccessful in other ways for me personally. And it just, yeah, it didn't feel like anything new. No, no, it was, and it was, it, it, and, and for me too, I want to get some good news about a song of ice and fire game of Thrones, right? Yeah. I, I want to hear, uh, I, I like it when you even hear like, say Amelia Clark says, Oh, I missed the character. She says a little something, or I, I hope everybody was ha- would be happier because in the end it's just a made up story and we're just trying to enjoy it. You know, it gets, there's a lot of business and production and everything gets melded together, whether it's a Starbucks cup is then extrapolated to, yeah. they don't care about anything. Not the you know? cup. I can't and it's talk like, about Oh, that. it's like, yeah, it's like, come on, you know how hard it is to make a TV, like things happen and continuity and editors make decisions and it's just, uh, you know, so, I was happy that the last bit of news was that they had given a 10 episode order uh, to House of the Dragon. I was not happy that the Long Night or Blood Moon was shelved. How did you feel about that? Because I was excited. Jane Goldman, Grimm has helped creating it. I was happy about that. Yeah, I, w- I was feeling pretty good about that. I think I was maybe a little bit hesitant about about going with that as the very first mm. like prequel or spinoff. I, when they, uh, when they initially announced that that was the first one that was going to be making a pilot, I was a little bit surprised just because it felt like such a more like nebulous subject matter that they were trying to tackle that I, I was interested in it, but I was a little bit concerned about the broader reach of it. Um, but what I was really excited about was having more women involved. Yeah. Uh, like you said, Jane Goldman, the director that they hired for the pilot was a woman. They had a much more diverse cast and I love game of Thrones with all my heart, but I, I really think that some of the later seasons especially would have benefited by having just different perspectives in that writer's room or at least behind the camera. Um, so it, it, what bummed me out the most about this change out was losing that initial sweep of uh, creative diversity behind the project. Now we don't know, like we know that Ryan Condal is the primary writer, but um, I'm pretty sure that they're going to assemble a writer's room to sort of like contribute to that. I don't think that he's going to be the sole writer on the show. So I'm excited to see like more announcements about it basically. So I'm, I'm holding back any sort of judgment, but I do hope that we get, uh, we get more people in that like involved in the show that make it seem a little bit similar to what the long night series sounded like it was going to be. Yeah. Me too. And I was also, it was, it was cool that 
that Grimm was really more a part of that. And I, uh, to me, that kind of signaled like, oh, okay, almost like a mending of fences between mm-hmm. a Game of Thrones, between like kind of HBO, these TV productions and his world. And mm-hmm. so that was, but you're right. It's going to, it's going to take them time to put together a writer's room to get this into production. And even though they've given it a 10 episode order, they could shoot a pilot and then they could scrap that pilot and shoot, you know what I, So yeah. it, it's still, it's, you kind of wait for it. And I think it's not also a bad idea to maybe take a little bit more time, let this stuff kind of fade away. Maybe even let, I don't know, George come out with a book. That would be nice. <laughs> That would be, <laughs> you know. So, I mean, yeah. Speaking of that, I think what ex- what what excited me a little bit more about House of the Dragon was knowing that it's based on Fire and Blood. Yep. Um, just because, I mean, I read I read most of Fire and Blood. I think I skipped some of the chapters that felt redundant to stuff that I had already read from A World of Ice and Fire. But I I really like I like the sort of middle ground that it hits where it's not a narrative story in the way that game of Thrones was based on a song of ice and fire. Like they were Benioff and Weiss were much more constrained or, I mean, they made changes where they wanted to, but a song of ice and fire had like a very clear character driven, like narrative structure. And it was unfinished, (laughs) which was the whole problem. Whereas fire and blood is, Yes, it's unfinished in the sense that like he still has to write volume two, but we already know the general history of all the Targaryens. And because that book is written from the perspective of this maester, and I think he he like cites from other accounts from yes. people too. Yep. It it has this like biased perspective, which means that the writers can change things yeah. or like fill in the blanks in a way that Benioff and Weiss weren't able to without being heavily scrutinized for their choices that they were making and changing stuff. So I'm, I'm kind of, I'm excited to go back to the point where I'm writing about a TV show that's based on a book that I've read and I can like draw on everything that I know about these books. Whereas the last couple seasons of game of Thrones was a lot of me being like, well, we think this is going to happen yeah. in a song of ice and fire, but we aren't sure. Or like, here's this theory, but we don't actually know yet. Uh, so that's that'll be fun, I think, for me. Yeah, I think I'm I'm looking forward to it. And I loved Fire and Blood. I listened to the audio book like ten times or something. I just kept on listening to it. It was oh, wow. kind of soothing. To yeah, me. So I really got to. I don't know. I was just. I really enjoyed it, and that that is a very astute observation. That because of the kind of unreliable narrator, or even the function of history within a Song of Ice and Fire, how it is told by the victors, and we find out that things are different than we actually thought they were. Um, I think that it provides them an opportunity to take what George has given them, but also to create a cat, a really let the actor, the directors, the writers create these characters and yeah. bring us into a TV show. Because after all, a book is a book and a TV show is a TV show. So we, I like that they're, it's almost like a 50, 50 thing. Yeah. Um, so I'm really looking forward to it. And that that's probably going to be a little while off. So we'll yeah, have a, I would guess like 2021, yeah. like spring 2021 is like assuming everything goes correctly from here, but who knows? But yeah, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to have another year off 
from the <laughs> capital D discourse. Yes. Well, yeah. you know, news will happen in between then, but sure. I think oh, we yeah. have to break. You, you never know that. I mean, I keep on saying HBO, they're gonna they gotta get into the Game of Thrones business and they gotta do like ten series, then they have to do like a limited series and a movie. And I just yeah. I think there's gonna be so much stuff yeah. that um it's good to take a little bit of a break because as we see what happened, kind of every story has its breaking point. You see, like with the Marvel movies, the comics, they can come out with three movies, four movies a year. It's fine. With Star Wars, it gets too much. That's not how people are used to this story being unspooled to them. And right. I think with Game of Thrones, the the you know the fans and the public used to a little bit of a wait. So let us desire it again. <laughs> you know, leave yeah. us wanting more. Go to cufflinks.com slash DVR today. They are the official sponsor for the podcast. And if you're liking the podcast, go over to cufflinks.com, check it out, tell your friends, tell your folks, follow them on Twitter, follow them on Facebook, and use code Disney Plus to get 20% off your order all November long. 20% off Disney, Marvel, Star Wars. They've got ties, cufflinks, tie clips, socks pocket squares so much great stuff you've got to see it to believe it this is art people wearable art go over to cufflinks.com slash dvr today and use code disney plus now one of the best parts about podcasting is getting to know the listeners and making new friends and one of those friends is andy you may have heard me mention him before on one of our many podcasts and andy and his wife claire are looking to adopt so if you or anybody you know is considering adoption for their baby, please consider the loving family of Andrew and Claire. They're a home study approved adoptive family of three living on a farm in southern Minnesota with a dog Barney and two turtles. They're able to adopt from anywhere in the United States and would love to answer any questions you may have. To learn more about them, check out their Facebook page at Andrew and Claire Adopt or on Instagram at Andrew underscore and underscore Claire underscore adopt. You can also email them at Andrew and Claire Adopt at gmail.com. So again, if you or anyone you know is considering adoption for their baby, reach out at Andrew and Claire Adopt at gmail.com. Thanks. Speaking of more, let's talk about what we're here to talk about your book. Which yeah. is awesome. Um, tell good. me a little bit about the origin. You've been writing about Game of Thrones for a while. When did you make the decision to, hey, I want to put this into something that people can carry around with them? Yeah. So I um, just kind of by nature of my profession, being a reporter, I over the last you know four years or so, I, I became aware that writing a book was like an option, a potential option for me. Cause I know a handful of reporters who have gotten book deals based on their beat that they're covering. And so it was kind of like one of those things in the back of my mind for a while. And people would ask me periodically like, Oh, you, are you ever going to write a book about game of Thrones? And my initial response was always like, no, like similar in the way that I never thought I would be a entertainment reporter. I never thought I would be like a published author, uh, and, which is kind of, cool now it's very uh, cool yeah and uh so it was actually once we found out that the final season was coming out in 2019 and that we we were going to have this like a little bit over a year break um was when i started thinking about it more because 
then it was like, okay, the end is in sight. I was, I knew that someone was going to write a book about game of Thrones. Like it's the biggest TV show ever. So it was, it was bound to happen. And I just, at some point decided that I wanted to try and be that person. Um, and so it was actually new year's Eve, 2017. Yeah. New year's Eve, 2017. My mom asked me what my new year's resolution was and I didn't have one. (laughs) And I, I thought for like two minutes and I was like, I think I want to write a book. And I kind of surprised myself when I said that out loud for the first time. But once I did, I was like, okay, maybe I should try and make this happen. So yeah, it, I got, I was very lucky in that again, because of my job, I already had connections to people who had written books before. So I was able, my boss, actually my like boss's boss's boss, the, the editor in chief of our company. I had a meeting with him and I asked him for advice because he had written a book and he put me in touch with his editor who then scheduled a call with me, like basically had me give him his like a five minute pitch on what I would want to write. He said it sounded like a viable book. Uh, He told me, he like showed me how to put together a book proposal. Um, So I did that and then I got an agent and then that agent helped me kind of like tidy up the proposal. And by April, 2018, we were like shopping the proposal out to publishing studios um, or publishing companies. And yeah, I got a handful of offers, which was pretty cool. So I got to pick uh, who I wanted to go with and yeah, picked one. And then I signed my book deal in August, 2018. And yeah, literally turned in the final manuscript by July, 2019. So I wrote the entire book in about nine months. Wow. Which is bananas. (laughs) (laughs) So how did you do it? I I want, I'm interested in your process because I love the way that you've structured it and it is a personal story as well as what what went on throughout the entire run of the show. So did you kind of sit, were you able to get some interviews? Did you do set visits? Were you, I know you've, you've called your research is fantastic. Every time you quote something, they're like, Hey, wait a second. I remember reading that. Or what was your kind of process for getting that together? Yeah. So I had to, I had to start thinking about what the structure of the book would be all the way back when I was putting together the proposal, because part of a book proposal is usually a table of contents and then a few sample chapters. Um, And so to be totally honest, part of it was like out of sheer laziness. I sort of, I turned, (laughs) I turned and looked at what I had already written about Game of Thrones, like what I could already just sort of copy and paste or like format into a book. Um, so I really started with the things that I had already written extensively about. So like the score, you know, I had already interviewed Ramin Jawadi a handful of times. So I was like, okay, I should definitely have a chapter all about the music. Um, I had spoken to Michelle Clapton once for an interview, uh, before season seven. So I was like, okay, I already have some quotes about the costumes. I can do a chapter on costumes. Um, so I sort of, I sort of started cherry picking, the things that I would be really excited about to dive into even deeper and the things that I hopefully already had a little bit of work done on. Um, And then it was a matter of filling in the gaps. So it was like, okay, what haven't I written about that I really want to for this book? And that's where like the chapter about the pilot episode came in. I had never written about that for insider, but I knew that it was like this sort of like whole lore and legend of the fandom. So I wanted to get into that. Um, 
so yeah, that was, I sort of, I picked, I picked chapters based on the things that I was most interested in for Game of Thrones, because I assumed that like that would transfer over into other fans. And then um, unfortunately I was not able to do any new interviews for the book because my book is not licensed by HBO. Uh Um, They have, I think one just came out yesterday uh, actually, like the official guide to Game of Thrones came out yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that helps you because when, so. the, when people search, they'll right, they'll be like, "Oh, okay, this is uh, you yeah. got, Kim's got the real story. I don't want the corporate yeah. version." Yeah, so they 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 already had they had their official guide, and then like four or five coffee table books, like these big, massive, like photo heavy uh, things, which are cool. But so, yeah, so because I was not writing a book that was officially licensed by HBO, it meant that I wasn't able to, like, access anything to do with the show, basically. I had to separate, I had to separate my interviews and work that I was doing for Insider from the book. Um, Interesting. So, yeah, so kind of by the result of that was that I, I had to go a lot more, like, personal and analytical with certain chapters because I was like, okay, I can't interview, you know, the visual effects guys about the like dragons and direwolves. So I'm going to write an entire chapter. That's basically me like lamenting the fact that we don't have direwolves. I I think that I love that though, because like I said, I really think that what we, we bring everything to these stories, you know, that's really kind of always been the way uh, myself as a as a writer, director, creator, I always assume I'm, and I like the way you said, "Hey, I called my stuff because I, you know, you write what you know, you do what you know, and you just hope that because you're a part of it and you're feeling that vibe, you kind of tune into it, you know." And I think that's great yeah. that you did that. I I I, I think that. Often, um, I, I always bring up a great film called The Five Obstructions. Have you ever seen this film? No. It's a fantastic film, Lars von Trier. It's about getting his old film teacher to get back into filmmaking. And he challenges mm-hmm. him to make films, but he gives obstructions. You can only do, you can have only three seconds before each cut. But you have to tell the same story and one has to be animated. One has to be this. So I'm always a fan of when you have an obstruction, it actually makes you more creative and makes what you're doing better. So I think it's great that you were able to bring those aspects to this because it draws you into not only the story of Game of Thrones, but your story and uh, you as an author, uh, you know, it makes you feel like, oh, this is another, this is a fan, but oh, wow. Also, she's got all this info that I didn't know. It's like, you know, two for one. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm really glad that comes across. It was definitely, again, to go back to sort of what you were talking about earlier with like the, the community and the fandom, um, I'm just, I'm incredibly grateful and honored to be even like a small part of this community. And throughout writing this book, like that was really what kind of kept me going through like the more stressful times was I just felt like if I can give back any sort of like small piece of like fun and enjoyment that I've gotten out of this show and out of this community to people like that, that's all I want that will make me happy. So yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled 
that that people are reading it and that they're and that they're feeling a little bit of me in the book, which I not that I don't ever insert my personality into insider articles, but I definitely feel like I have a slightly different voice mm-hmm. when I'm writing for insider because I'm trying to be a little bit more objective and uh, you know, sar- like sarcasm doesn't come off in like articles very well, yeah, but I, I'm, a, I, I'm a very sarcastic person. That's why I love your right. I, I was going to say it. I don't mean to, you know, make this a whole compliment podcast, but <laughs> I've always appreciated that about your writing. Cause I think so many people today, especially when they're writing about entertainment, the snarkiness, the sarcasm. And honestly, I just want, when I'm reading like a, like a recap or something, I, I, I like to see what, the like the intelligent i want my brain to be activated i want to kind of mm-hmm. see things i didn't see um mm-hmm. maybe if you you were writing about like say the bachelor maybe be a little yeah. snarkier or something right sure. but i i think for like game of thrones westworld these kind of shows i like the the facts and the way you present things in a logical manner um because i think that that helps people and it kind of sifts through the other discourses that get muddled in all of these fan communities these days. And you're just kind of talking about the show. Yeah. I mean, my, especially with, with insider, my primary objective when writing about TV shows is to be as informative as possible. So like, there will be a time when I might be writing something that's a little bit more opinion driven, but in general, I really like, I really like giving people information or like answers to questions that they might've had and then letting them like, like giving them the tools with which to like theorize or do, do the more like fun or I don't know, personality driven work. But for me, my, my primary objective is always to just to deliver information and hopefully in a way that feels, feels like you walk away feeling a little bit smarter about, whatever it is that you're watching. And so I dig it. Thank, that's what on Westworld theory cast, my slogan is always activate the mind state. Yeah, Just get, get yourself that. thinking, get yourself. And I wanted to ask you about the business and production side. Um, yeah. How much of a background did you have in that? And, and how was it kind of through your research? Did you kind of, what did you learn about that? That maybe you didn't know before? Yeah, I, that's a, that's a great question. I think over the course of just being an entertainment reporter, I've definitely learned a lot about the more business side of TV. It was not something that I thought of very much before. I mean, I didn't even, I didn't watch HBO before Game of Thrones. <laughs> I've never seen this. Program. I'm so sorry. Oh no, really? I know. Okay. So when no. I dropped my star ledger reference, you weren't thinking of Tony <laughs> picking up the star ledger at the bottom of his driveway. I wasn't. I was honestly okay. thinking of Matthew Silver Sites. Okay, there you I, go. Well, that's a good thought, I, though. I know him, and I, <laughs> not not I know him, but I know his writing, and I follow him. Um, but yeah, so so to me, especially writing about Game of Thrones, but also just my job in general, has been like a very like slow learning curve. I think of learning about the business side of things. Um, yeah, I I think. I think especially learning about sort of like the pitch process and like executive producer versus like showrunner is not a term that I think most like TV fans know. They might know it a little bit more now because people like Benioff and Weiss or like Damon Lindelof. Like Mm -hmm. there are sort of these like there are these people who are gaining reputations as like, oh, he's the he was the showrunner of 
blah, 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 blah. But that's a pretty recent phenomenon. Um, so yeah, I, d- I do feel like I learned, learned a bit more about that. There's still tons that I probably don't know. And that's largely because I tend, like, I tend to be a lot more interested in the, like what's happening on the screen and like the writing process of things, you know, like my, my ultimate passion is not learning about how like network executives yeah. <laughs> like hash out television contracts or whatever but it is it's a it's an interesting aspect of the business that definitely reflects in in what you see like like lena Headey's contract for the final season you know like there's a reason why cersei wasn't in every episode and it's because the actor's contracts were on a per episode basis you know so they weren't gonna pay her a million dollars to look out the window for four episodes. Yeah, see stuff like that is, for two. Yeah, it's interesting. I always I, I find that and and you you learn things like that and just from from even like the production side of the difference between you know what what they put in a coming next week and who approves it and like right. we we're talking about the Starbucks cups or editors or what footage they have and they can take and it's we get caught up a lot of times when something doesn't appear on the screen like like a dire wolf you yeah. know and it's sometimes you you have to you got to get into that nitty gritty of why that happened and providing that information can can I think make fans feel better too in a sense that like okay all these decisions were not like personal you know right. because i think these days a lot of fans personalize the experience as we're talking about cuz we're part of a community but then they extend that to the production and business side. And I like that you're shedding light on, well, hey, these are decisions that people had to make. And by the way, a lot of people who made them were like in a boardroom and they don't even know what a song of ice and whatever is. They're right. talking about a product, you know? So there's some decisions that have to be made in that way. Yeah, which again kind of comes back to what I was saying about like like if I can ever provide an answer to a question or like an answer to a question that someone might not have had before, like the, the whole controversy around the long night episode being so dark yes. and like, and like there were some people who saw it on very nice televisions in the right lighting and with the right settings who were like, what are you talking about? You all are crazy. And I was like, no, I'm sitting here on my computer <laughs> and I, I just took a screenshot and I can barely tell who is in this and like my laptop brightness is up all the way and it's like that's a technical issue that wasn't the director of photography on set saying screw these nerds i'm not going to show them what's actually happening in the battle <laughs> like th- this is like this is a whole streaming technology issue on top of the fact that yes the cinematographers in game of thrones very specifically were trying to use natural lighting mm-hmm. and therefore they were not over lighting their sets with like with extra floodlights or something like that. Um, so yeah, it's, I think the, the blessing and the curse of having done all of this research and spent so much time. Like I honestly don't know how many hours of my life I have spent thinking about game of Thrones is that anytime that a big like divisive topic comes up, I usually, I can see 15 different sides of the argument because I know a lot of things about how that episode was made or what the decision process was behind this or how the fans are feeling because of this chapter of the book that means this thing. And so I feel very empathetic to everyone 
on both sides of this situation. I do not think that people mean badly in, in this discourse necessarily. There are definitely the trolls out there who do and who are just trying to make people's lives miserable. But I think ultimately this comes down to like a very complicated thing that happened, which was this massive television show coming to an end and millions and millions of people having different expectations about it. And I completely feel for everyone in the situation. So it's an interesting situation. We're covering Mindhunter. Uh, Have Mm -hmm. you seen that? I love Mindhunter. Awesome. We just finished the first season and then in January, we're going to do the second season. And one of the basis that you find out by watching that show and they talk about is in order for juries and the public to and and like the DA and whatnot to be able to bring charges against a serial killer or bring this aspect of that into the case, the public has to know what a serial killer is, right? Like they have right. to be educated. And I think that something that you're doing is bringing both sides of that and kind of educating people on it too, because I think that as fandom expands and it becomes so much a part of, I mean, I'm 45 years old. I'm sitting here talking on a microphone about dragons. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> back in the day, my dad was 45. He was like, what are you talking about a drag? I got You know, I got work to do. So it's like, it's a different world. Now this yeah. fandom is so popular And as it gets more popular, I think it behooves people to learn more about the production, the business side, to take a more holistic view, Um, not just, hey, they took my book and did this, or I love it, they they did this. Well, how did they do that? And I like the aspects that you bring to that in kind of, like you're saying, it comes through in your writing that you see both sides of it, and you're not trying to, you're trying to bring new facts and bring light to things. Uh, not to steer it in one direction, like this is the way I think it is, but no, hey, these are the things I've learned happen. Take it as you will. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I It would never occur to me to try and tell someone how they should feel about a TV show or like a person. And so the the best I can do is try and uh, try and extrapolate why feelings are being had in either direction or like if i if i respond really emotionally to something i try and figure out okay what is it that's bothering me about this or what is it that i loved about this you know so many parts of my book are me literally just like gushing and like celebrating these parts of the show that i love so much i rewatched all seven seasons as i was writing the book um and then of course like you know as season 8 was going on i was I was adding to new chapters or changing things. And yeah, I it, I didn't write a book about a TV show because I hate it and I want to criticize the crap out of it. There are things that I do critique and that I do try and analyze to figure out, you know, what what might have gone wrong or what what was letting people down. But for the most part, you know, I just wanted to celebrate the heck out of this incredible feat of television yeah. that I had I've never seen anything like it before, and I don't know if I ever will again. Yeah, the the biggest production. I've said this, and I I try to look back uh, my film studies history and try to think: Has there ever been a television show that was this large? It's not only the most popular, but the production, the number of countries, the number of people involved, the yeah. distribution of it. It is literally like the largest filmed thing ever. Yeah. 
So, and that is a lot to think about when you think yeah. about all the, di- and that's going back. I'm thinking about like Berlin Alexander plots, like how many episodes was that? But it was only in Berlin, you know, like all these things that had, that were really big, but this is like something that is beyond the scope of it. And, and I love the documentary was a cool thing. And I like the way that yeah. they took the aspect of following like the PA and the guy who did, uh, what was that? The guy who did the fire or whatever. Um, yeah. The snow, the, the like, snow. snow yes. Yeah. yeah. Like I, that's why I loved that. And it was almost yeah. like the actors, the documentary documentarian, acted like we would when the actors came on set, the camera almost moved back a little bit instead of moving forward. And I thought that was great. And your book brings that. Um, We don't have too much time left, but I do want to ask you, has your attitude changed towards the show, towards uh, the fandom? What are some, like what's something that may have surprised you or something that may have changed in you through this process? Hmm. Um, yeah, I feel like so, so many things. <laughs> <laughs> this is like a therapy session today, isn't it? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Hey, want to come uh, on my oh, pod this, for some therapy? This whole year has been a therapy session in, in Game of Thrones. I think, um, I would say the biggest personal change that I've, that I've undergone, especially in the last year and like the exercise of writing this book and really analyzing the show in a way that I, I was always analyzing it before, but especially the earlier seasons that I wasn't ever covering professionally, um, rewatching those and like really picking them apart. I got much more personally interested in the, in like screenwriting and like the adaptation process that has given me a, a, a much bigger appreciation for it. I think I think in the early days of Game of Thrones, I was much more quick to like complain about a change or really, really be unforgiving about something that didn't turn out the way that it had been in my head when I was reading the book. And I was even more like that when I was younger. I was so stubborn about about book to television or book to movie adaptations. Um, like that, I can't. I cannot watch the Harry Potter movies. I just can't. They, they like physically upset and me. See, and you want to know the funny thing is watching those with my son when he was like six years old mm-hmm. made me love Harry Potter. And I, as an older person, was always like, oh my God, this is like some kid with a birthmark on his forehead. What is this junk? <laughs> and then I, I, even though, but I watch everything. So I had seen them all, but I rewatched them with him. And I understood them in a whole new way by just kind of like opening myself up to it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that I am much more, it's not necessarily that like, it doesn't bother me that, that things were changed or that Benioff and Weiss like made certain adaptation choices. It's just that I, I think I have a little bit more of a better understanding of why they did certain things. And I also, it's like, it's made me come to terms with the fact that like, look, these are the two guys who were put in charge of this show. However you feel about it, that's what happened. Mm. And I, I just, I think I'm more at peace with like the fact that like they, they made creative choices that I probably would not have if I was in their shoes, but it's not, it wasn't my show, you know, and it's not George's show either. Um, And I've also, right. So just like, I think I've, 
I've been able to come to terms a lot more with the fact that Game of Thrones is Game of Thrones and A Song of Ice and Fire will be whatever it is once that comes out. I'm still optimistic that we'll get those books. But yeah, I think I think settling into that sort of like I'm not like my hackles aren't raised every time that someone like asks me about a change that they made or a character that was cut or like a whatever. I'm just sort of like, no man, like that was, this is game of Thrones. It, 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 it is what it is. It's over now. And uh, we're all moving on yeah. with our life. Yeah. And the book is the book and the show is yeah. the show. I feel a little spoiled. My favorite book of all time. I read when I was 10 years old is 2001 by Arthur C. Clarke. And then my friend said, did you know they made a movie of this? And we sat in his uh, living room after school one day and watched 2001. And it became my favorite film of all time. Mm-hmm. And you, But then in the same respect, I grew up to love Stephen King. And I was obsessed and read everything by Stephen King. And then I said, oh my God, the guy who directed 2001 also directed The Shining, Mm-hmm. And I went and saw, and I saw The Shining. I was like, "This is amazing!" And then I read Stephen King talk about how it's the worst adaptation of all of his of all of his books. And then I said, "Oh, wait a second! I'm never gonna again." <laughs> like I, I've been <laughs> spoiled by 2001. Every yeah. people have different opinions, and yeah. the it the the book still remains, and the show still remains. And um, they're really separate things, you know, and I think in the case of A Song of Ice and Fire, it's so deep and it's got so much, they're long books, there's so much characterization and detail um, that they were up against it. And as George famously said, I set out to create something that was unfilmable. Right. And then you end up with the last season you don't like. It's like, all right, George, you got what you wanted, buddy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, and my the biggest, um, you know, the biggest bone I'll I'll throw to Benioff and Weiss is that they did not sign up to make their own story. They signed up to follow a very, like you said, very dense, very detailed, very thought out roadmap, and they were not expecting that roadmap to vanish halfway through the process. That's a great point. Yeah, so you know, they. I think that they are very skilled at adapting George's material. I think where they started to waver was when they were on their own, but I don't really, you know, it's not their fault that they were on their own. The one thing I think if I could, you know, wave a magic wand and, you know, incept an idea into their minds and have them do something differently is I wish that they had brought on more writers once they hit that point. I think that, I think that maybe they got a little bit too, uh, they were just very insulated from from the rest of the process, which is fine. It's their prerogative. I'm not saying they had to listen to millions of people on Twitter about what they should do with season six or something like that. But I do think I think there's a reason why like Brian Cogsman Brian Cogman's episode in season eight was so well received. And it's because it was like this second perspective on the show and what was important about it. And Cogman was really tapped into these characters and what small conversations between the two characters would, would do for the audience. And I think it worked very, very well. And I wish that maybe Benioff and Weiss had just expanded their writer's room a little bit in those later seasons. Cause I think maybe that would have helped couch uh, 
some of the some of the rough rough yeah. parts. And then it's funny that it was Cogman's pitch that they're doing house that was really based on his pitch I heard the House of the Dragon one but now he's off working on Lord of the Rings for Amazon. Yeah, I don't think he's I don't think he's fully on Lord of the Rings. I think he was like in a consulting position oh, okay. or something. Okay. So maybe he's there's doing time something for him, else. I love him. I do. I love yeah. it. like I got so I mean, A Night of the Seven Kingdoms made me so emotional, but the little behind the scenes uh oh, yeah. video that they released for that episode with him and he got like choked up talking about these characters and then I got choked up <laughs> listening to him talk about these characters. Like I yeah, I I'm a big admirer of what he was able to do. Uh yeah, uh, and you know, there was oh, the point I want to make real quick is yeah. about not only losing George's script and you're so right about bringing other writers in and other perspectives, but just mm-hmm. also, I think um, maybe also why didn't HBO encourage them more? And when they were talking about how, how lost they were in creating the pilot and, and uh, in that Austin thing throughout the series, I think to myself was was maybe the sale of Warner to AT&T things were going on in the business side that it's almost like they had, is there a story here that we don't know about this huge corporation having the biggest TV show ever, but then basically nobody really helping these dudes out or guiding them in a more beneficial way uh, that could have brought us a better story, but that's just, you know, just kind of a conspiracy theory. I have. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, my my outside perspective on it is that really by the time that by the time that they were on their own, uh they had the full trust of all the HBO executives. That's yeah. what it feels like to me. I mean, season I still I will fight to my dying day and say that season 5 is the worst season of Game of Thrones and season five won the most Emmys for the show up until that point. (laughs) And so, so like, so I don't think I can't imagine that anyone sitting at HBO watched season, like, yeah, watched season five, watched them win a record breaking number of Emmys and said, you know what? We should probably start interfering in this process here. (laughs) That's a great point, Kim. That's that's true. All right. Well, listen, I don't want to keep you too much longer, but my final question for you is, when yeah. is your Westworld book coming out? <laughs> oh, Lordy. I mean, look, I I would love to write an official Westworld book. All right. If anyone, if anyone from HBO is listening, I will write the official guide to Westworld. I don't know that I would ever do this unofficial process again with a TV show, at least not with something that I it, – it'll be hard. I just – I know Game of Thrones so well. That it's not that it was easy per se, but it was definitely easier than it would be um, with anything else. And so, yeah, I I think I'm I'm not in a hurry to write another book, but never say never. How excited were you when you uh, when you saw the trailer with Aaron Paul? Have you seen that trailer for season three yet? I was very excited, and also I just moved to Los Angeles last year, and so like there are shots in that trailer that are like two blocks away from my office. I'm like, oh, it's, <laughs> like, it's downtown LA. It's kind of, it's cool that like, as soon as the show has now gone into LA, I'm also here. So it was very fitting. Yeah, yeah. I'm stoked. That's going to be a fun one. I look forward to it. I look forward to reading your writing on that. And everyone, please 
Go Thank out you. and purchase the unofficial guide to Game of Thrones by Kim Renfro. I'm going to have in the show notes all the links. You can even read a little bit of a sample chapter and you can click the old expand more on Amazon and take a look as well. Thank you so much, Kim, for coming on. Once again, if you could tell everyone where they can find you and anything else you want to say as a goodbye. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I know we've been trying to make this happen for for ages, so I'm glad that glad that we finally did it. Um, yeah, you can find me uh, all my writing for insiders on insider.com, and you can find me on Twitter at Kim R Renfro. And then yeah, uh, the unofficial guide to Game of Thrones is on sale. I'm pretty sure literally anywhere that they sell books, if you call them, they can get a copy for you. So go to your local bookstore. Go to I don't know Barnes and Noble. Amazon, if that's easy. So yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you. And thanks everyone for downloading and listening. Remember, you can go to DVR podcast, check out our Watchmen pod, Westworld theory cast, man, we got a lot of stuff going on. It's a lot of fun and it's good though, to be back talking a little bit about Game of Thrones. We will of course be covering all the prequels and stories and anything that happens. Take care everybody. Peace out.